0: Right, you are in
1: trouble. Big
0: trouble. All right. Let's just say, for argument's sake, that you're right, that I am in big trouble. What exactly would that mean? Look at me. Look at your future. Now, if you don't change your ways, you're gonna wind up doomed, just as I am. (coughs) One minute, I'm on the 14th hole at Wingfoot, lining up a putt. A heart attack later, I'm a worm feast. No, 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 no. You're not a worm feast. You're a hallucination brought on by alcohol, Russian vodka poisoned by Chernobyl. I've been under a lot of pressure lately. I've been putting on a big silence. Sh- Ouch. I had it all. Ooh. I was a captain of industry, <sighs> feared by men, adored by women. Adored. Let's be honest, Lou. You paid for the women. I'm warning you, Frank. Don't waste your life as I did mine. Waste? How can you say that? You're a legend in this business. You're the man who invented the miniseries. Mankind should have been my business. Charity, mercy, kindness. That should have been my business. Don't wait. Get yourself involved. Oh, it's too late for me, but it's not for you. You can be saved.
2: Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick?
1: Like that one, you cheap dime store hood. Andy!
3: You goody! Hello everyone and welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 121, Scrooged. Always kind of tough for us to pick out a a holiday movie Well I think this is really only the second time we've done that Last year I think we did two But we've spent hours
4: agonizing over trying to pick one
3: (laughs) You know (laughs) Well I don't know about that But nonetheless I will say Merry Christmas to all the ass clowns out there That's right Yeah actually Someone texted me today
4: who hadn't checked in on the show in a while And they were looking forward to diving in And I was like well we got a lot of content
3: Oh yeah I mean, We took a little bit of a break, but now we're back, and we have kind of a wild 2019 planned. <laughs> That's right. We're always looking ahead. And we're going to be taking the show in all kinds of new directions, really. That's true. We're really excited about it. Or at least it. one new direction. <laughs> I don't <laughs> Which, know. Maybe not plural, but... I think is enough. Yeah. One new direction. We're always kind of thinking of new things we can try and expand. That's right. you got to stay on the ball see where the puck's going whatever stay innovative get indignant that's right (laughs) (laughs) as always follow the show on twitter at greatest pod subscribe on itunes and maybe as a christmas present to the show and to yourself you can tell a loved one about the podcast wouldn't that be great (laughs) we're always eager to get a new listener or two every now and again (laughs) it doesn't hurt (laughs) no yeah certainly doesn't hurt considering the amount of time and effort we put into we're these things. We're constantly looking for reasons to keep going. Yeah, we with should our be lives. up front here. We were just recently at a press screening of a movie. We're very busy kind people. Kind of
4: by accident really. Well, I
3: didn't think we needed to reveal that.
4: Yeah, but I, I was happy to point it out. I've told like
3: at least two people. <laughs> Unfortunately, we were not allowed in the press rows <laughs> even though I mean I,
4: it's like who who was the real press there? <laughs>
3: We're just like indignantly yelling about our podcast. Relevant,
4: this (laughs) podcast or a newspaper?
3: Yeah, good point. The only reason I bring that up, though, is to illustrate that we are busy. We're trying to see as many movies in the theaters we can. We're
4: legitimate resources for movie knowledge.
3: Yeah, and there's a lot on our plates in addition to watching and preparing the movies and shows and stuff for this podcast. So there's a lot going on. This is our busy time of the year. We really take our end of our end of the year lists seriously. There's a lot of like
4: physical ailments, you know, yeah. old age setting in.
3: Yeah, you know, and the usual holiday hustle and bustle. That's right. Anyway, yeah,
4: through all that, here we are. <laughs> here we go. We have a-, a lot
3: to say, I guess, about Scrooge. So maybe we well, should maybe just jump right in.
4: Some of us more than others. <laughs> so a reimagining of the classic Christmas Carol story. This was not really a movie that I watched as a kid.
3: No, I didn't see this until I was older.
4: I do remember it being on TV once, and I kind of saw like some of that early, the early scenes with them, like you know that opening montage with the television programming and him like reviewing the trailer for the thing. Right. Like I remembered seeing that, but that was that was pretty much all I had seen. For me, though, I mean, I do always love uh, Christmas Carol renditions it jumps out to me as being like the epitome of a holiday story. Yes. I've seen so many. I'm up at Christmas Carol. I watched countless times as a kid. Probably my third favorite Michael Caine movie. <laughs> right up there with Dress to Kill and then, of course, number one, Blame it on Rio.
3: <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Jaws for The Revenge. That's
4: right. <laughs> Michael Caine really just in so many good movies. It's definitely an interesting way to take this story, setting it in the world of this sort of... I, I don't know. I uh, pessimistic. It's <laughs> I definitely cynical. the
3: the height of '80s greed and aesthetic.
4: Yeah, and it kind of feels like the transition to the '90s a little bit too. I think. When did this come out? '88. Yeah. I, I feel like that shock value is there. That kind of that was more prominent in the '90s, like the whole bombastic media thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, this is definitely in the time of Donald Trump, which is, is referenced somehow, in the movie. Yeah. Somehow still a time of. And, (laughs) you know, American Psycho and, like, that same era and, like, Wall Street and the whole thing. Yeah. But done in the world of television production and all that stuff. I'm not surprised that you didn't really see it much as a kid, as I didn't either. It doesn't really feel like a kid's movie, despite the fact that it's only PG-13 and it's not really that bad. But there are elements in it that I just don't think they would even bother trying to get past today in 2018 like it's weird to think
4: about like the marketing for this movie
3: yeah who it is strange who was this movie for specifically although it was kind of a a hit like it did pretty well but there are elements of it that are straight up horror elements almost like it's it's very in your face a couple of times as far as there's being a little scary for kids
4: there's as i was watching it the other day and like I hadn't even bothered to look or pay attention to who directed it while I was watching it. There's parts of it that felt like I, I was like, "Is this Ivan Reitman's like follow-up to Ghostbusters? Like, is he working?" Because there are parts of it that kind of have that same feel to me. But then there's also parts of it that I, I'm just like, "Did Tim Burton direct this?" You know what I mean? There's <laughs> like there's that opening number. I just remember like the music and stuff. It felt very like Tim Burton-esque. Yeah, it's like a Danny Elfman score.
3: I think yeah, he did do the score. I'm pretty sure. But
4: neither of them, direct, not no, it was, Ivan Reitman. It no was Chimper. Richard
3: Donner who directed the Goonies, the original Superman movie with um, Christopher Reeve. I believe the Lethal Weapon, Lethal movies. Weapon movies, yeah. the original Omen, did a lot of stuff. Still alive, although really old at this kinda point. Kind
4: of has directed a lot of movies you would know, but like uh, he's just kind of like one of those like a less than. You know, not quite a Spielberg guy. Yeah,
3: he was kind of in that same class with, like, Chris Columbus and yeah. a lot of those guys. so You bring up Ghostbusters, it's interesting, because Murray, Bill Murray did take, like, a four-year acting hiatus after...
4: Yeah, so it's not Ivan Reitman's follow-up, but it is... Bill Murray's father. Yeah, up I think he might have right?
3: done like the Razor's Edge or something and okay. Ghostbusters in 84 and then took four years off yeah. and was kind of not really sure if he was going to continue acting or not. Bill
4: Murray is just like such a weird <laughs> dude with this stuff. And you kind of brought it up to me that like him and Richard Donner had problems uh, while filming this movie. But it's like, it does seem like Bill Murray is just
3: kind of a dick. Oh, there, yeah. There's definitely evidence to that. Yeah, and I, he doesn't get along with some people. That's for sure. Well,
4: that's the thing. And I mean, he, you know, supposedly he's really down on Ghostbusters.
3: I don't. Really, that. I mean, I hate to be like that guy, but I don't really disagree with him. I think <laughs> Ghostbusters is like so overrated. I don't know. I think he's funny in it, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, I think they kind of had a tumultuous time, and Bill Murray ultimately was unhappy with the finished result of Scrooged. They apparently filmed all kinds of. Stuff that got cut. The script was being reworked. It was, you know, it was a constant battle. But I don't know. Somehow they took this $32 million budget and made this movie. It, it made a modest profit. It got, I would describe, mixed to low critical response. Okay. People weren't super into it at the time, critic wise. And ultimately, I think the film is kind of uneven and rushed, sloppy. Okay, yeah. There's times where it goes way too extreme as far as being mean and way too extreme as far as being sappy. (laughs) That is true, yeah. The tone is all over the place.
4: Yeah, and like there's really hard cuts in the tone.
3: And we'll get to the Bill Murray-Karen Allen relationship, which is one of the most ridiculous on-screen relationships of all time, where you're just (laughs) like, what is happening? Yeah, there's definitely some things I want to talk about there. But ultimately, I just can't help but feel like it's kind of a fun movie, and it works solely on Murray's charisma and the familiarity of the classic, Charles Dickens story it somehow just kind of comes together by the end and yeah. literally every time I watch this movie I'm like either in tears or near tears by the end of it I'm always moved by the end of the movie and it does seem like in that ending sequence they kind of just point the camera on Bill Murray and just say just do it just do what you're gonna do All oh, right. there doesn't really seem to be any structure to it and it just kind of works yeah I mean I'm sure it was I scripted do like the end but sequence, yeah he just kind of goes and it feels very raw and real
1: and there's we'll get parts to the it, end. Yeah, but, yeah, I mean,
4: there's definitely parts of it where it feels like Bill Murray is very invested in this role in this movie. Well, this was a big comeback. I mean, yeah, I mean.
3: This was going to probably be a big factor in determining where his career was going to go next. Since its release, though, the movie has gained a lot of steam. And it's become kind of this holiday favorite, or as people call it, like, an alternative holiday favorite. Which I, okay. I don't really even understand the alternative part for this. It's not like it's fucking Die Hard. I mean it is a Christmas Carol I mean I think it's pretty straightforward a Christmas movie but yeah I would say so it just got a little bit of an edge I guess to with it. a dark spin though yeah. yeah and now it's held in much higher regard today than back when it was released and I think people are pretty forgiving of some of the faults of the movie which is occasionally okay yeah it's okay to be right. forgiving sometimes like sometimes there's enough there where you could move past some of the shortcomings well of and, the and movie. I know I I do understand
4: that we talk about the same stuff on this show all the time, but it is another example of just, like, when I'm sitting down watching this movie, they just don't make movies like this now. Oh, no. No. I mean, other than, like, okay, you could be like, well, they make remakes of everything now and, like, reimaginings of things, but the the style of this movie, it it just feels like uh, so of another time
3: yeah it seems unfat- I don't know who the modern day equivalent of Bill Murray would be like right now, but it just seems unfathomable that they would take thirty two million, which that's thirty two million in nineteen eighty eight dollars so that's like I don't know seventy million i'm not I'm not even oh, really right. sure what inflation is that's they invested a ton of money into this kind of a crazy idea that may have just not worked at all and fallen flat on its face and lost all the money like it just seems like there's no way they would do anything like this now, yeah. Especially making it PG thirteen, I know you go and back making to... it very mean spirited at right. times. <laughs> and I think part of the appeal for Murray was to be able to play like a total asshole, like he wanted to play the meanest guy in the world, kind of a thing. But I don't know, they just but wouldn't also, do that like, now.
4: So intercut with like that when there's like the flashbacks and like the I guess going back in time, it's so weird seeing like the cheery version of him too. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, the way that that plays is just so
1: strange I to me i uh,
3: this is like one of those things that someday it'll probably be released if they as long as they didn't delete it but i'd love to see like what all of this other stuff is because it's I, i've seen it referenced in a couple of bill murray interviews like what kind of footage there was i'd love to know what because el- it there are a few moments in the film and i i, I can't guarantee that we're going to touch on them when we go through it but there are times where i felt like there was a hint of something else but i'm not i wasn't sure what okay Because there were, like, little lines left in and little, like, references. I I don't know. It just always felt like there was some more going on to the story that, like, we don't ever see. It does feel like that. Especially that relationship between him and his brother's wife. You know how at the end of the movie where he's, like, talking to them through the TV, basically? Okay, right. Because he had been there with them with the Ghosts of Christmas Present. So he knew the question that they didn't know and all that stuff. And then he just says... Like, he says the whole thing about, like, the SS Minnow, and then he just goes, Hi, Wendy, or whatever, and it's, like, real weird. It's like, what is... And she just has, like, a weird reaction. So it's like, was there a history there that we don't know about? I don't know. There's a lot, like, under the surface of this movie that you don't really know. I don't know. Who knows what this original version was and how much more to it. And there's a lot of little details in the movie
4: that don't feel like they really connect with each other all that much. Yeah, all the little relationships throughout, including like with his secretary or whatever, like it's there and it, and it factors into the end a little bit. But I don't know; it just feels like a lot of the things have like missing pieces. Well,
3: yeah, it's almost like they took the Bob Cratchit character and split it between right. Bobcat Goldthwaite and Alfred Woodard, yes. and you're just kind of like, okay, because it's like a it's fake to out. It's hard
4: which one's which. Yeah,
3: because at first you're just like, oh, he fires this Elliot guy, so, so that's he what must it's be. be. But then like,
4: it, but it's like not like Bob Cratchit. Came into uh, Scrooge's shop with a shotgun and started
3: <laughs> blowing people up. Okay, so let's jump into it. We have Bill Murray as our star. He's playing Frank Cross, IBC Television President.
4: By the way, like how good is like this opening scene with the little fake programming that they're doing? That yeah. first thing with that like Santa Claus
3: thing. Yeah. Okay, so Frank Cross is our main character. Just to kind of sum him up: cynical, greedy, selfish. He's the Ebenezer Scrooge. Of the movie he is having his network broadcast an extravagant live production of a christmas carol called scrooge on christmas eve making his staff work long hours throughout the holiday so they're all gonna have to broadcast live on christmas eve i like how that's a point of emphasis in this 1988 version right. meanwhile in 2018 that would not no one would even bat an eye at that oh i know People would yeah. be like yeah yeah of we course. all do that <laughs> you have to work at fucking target till midnight on christmas eve right. probably yeah. <laughs> so it's like yeah okay the movie does open with two promos for other shows that are running on this IBC network, and the first one is The Night the Reindeer Died. Yeah, to, to me this is just like, <laughs> does Zach own a movie of this? Like, it, it does seem like it, it has that Satan's Blade. <laughs> what has, like, the same kind of joy as the fake trailers in the middle of Grindhouse. Right. Just yeah. kind of like, as cra- how crazy can we make this? Now, granted, this is like a PG-13 version that's supposedly going to be a program that's airing on television but still it's like lee majors runs in with a machine gun and there's like terrorists and mrs claus is like breaking open a cabinet filled with machine guns and (laughs) passing them out to like the elves (laughs) and stuff
4: yeah it did it did have like a silent night deadly night feel to me yeah
3: like a very christmas grindhouse style movie
5: it's lee majors the six million dollar band is there a back way out of this place of course there is, Lee, but this is one Santa that's going out the front door. Look, it don't matter a hill of beans what happens to me. The world couldn't afford it if anything happened to you. Now, you stay put. Oh, that's very nice of you, Lee. And Lee, you're being a real good boy this year.
2: Yes, you sure have.
5: 7 o'clock, Psycho sees Santa's workshop. Eat this. And only Lee Majors can stop them. The night the reindeer died. and America's best-loved singer invites you to share a home-style holiday when it's Bob Goulet's Old-Fashioned Cajun Christmas. 9 o'clock, IBC presents America's favorite family in a special Christmas episode.
4: Hi, Mom. Where's Dad? Should have been home by now.
2: Well, Wally, if I know your father is out chasing beaver.
5: Father loves beaver. Here on IBC, you'll love it.
3: The second one, though, I think is even funnier, which is Bob Goulet's old-fashioned Cajun Cajun Christmas. Christmas. I just love that they keep saying Bob Goulet. (laughs) (laughs) I've never even, outside of this movie, I I always heard it as Robert Goulet. Oh, yeah. So just saying, like, Bob Goulet, (laughs) like a very casual feel, and he's just, like, going down the river singing that song. Yeah,
4: that is funny.
3: And then there's a Christmas episode of a show called Father Loves Beaver, which is Kind of an.
4: My least favorite. Low hanging fruit of the jokes there, but okay.
3: So then Frank wants to see the promo for Scrooge that his team has come up with, and he's not happy with it. Yeah. It's a pretty generic thing. I do love,
4: I mean, it is funny they have that gymnast girl or whatever, like. Mary Lou Retton. Right, yeah. (laughs) Famous
3: Olympian from the 80s. Yeah,
4: playing uh, Tiny Tim. It it does kind of have that feel of like the old Peter Pan movie that was like played by the girl or whatever. Right, yeah
3: his response is basically like we've spent 40 million dollars on a live tv show you guys have got me an ad with america's favorite old fart reading a book in front of a fireplace
5: (laughs) ibc presents live via satellite from new york bethlehem helsinki west berlin and the great barrier reef charles dickens immortal christmas classic scrooge starring buddy hackett jamie farr the solid gold dancers and Mary Lou Retton as Tiny Tim. Hosted by Sir John Houseman. Bah, Scrooge. Humbug. It will touch your every heart strain. That's right. It all starts on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve on IBC. You'll love it.
0: Oh, my gosh. Does that suck?
5: Y- y- you know who loves Mary Lou, Rhett, and Frank? My kids. Yeah. Children love an acrobat. Oh,
0: God. We have spent $40 million on a live TV show. You guys have got an ad with America's favorite old fart. Reading a book in front of a fireplace. Now... I have to kill all of you.
4: But I do love the thing that he shows, which yes. is basically like the friends of Eddie Coyle or something. Is he suggesting that like they should just run this trailer for Scrooge?
3: What, the thing with like acid rain yeah. and murder and all that stuff. <laughs> and, such- and like muscle cars and shit. Yeah, that's his ad because he the, you know, he does end up running it and it kills that old lady because she's like a heart attack. Yeah. Because of somebody getting but shot it's in like, the face.
4: I mean, it's like if you're expecting to see that and you tune into what they're actually showing, wouldn't you just be confused and like turn it off?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think like <laughs> – I think the whole thing he was going for was like that this is how shitty the world is. You have to see this because it's going to save your life. I don't you know. To,
4: you have to – you have to – have people be scared to miss it
3: yeah I am the youngest president
0: in the history of television for a reason I know the people
2: well uh, granted but the people already want to watch the show
0: that isn't good enough they have got to be so scared to miss it so terrified now If I were in charge, and I am, (laughs) perhaps I can help you. Here's the kind of thing I would have done. Grace, cue it up.
5: addiction
1: uh, uh, uh.
5: international terrorism freeway killers now more than ever it is important, important
0: to remember, remember the, the true meaning, meaning of, of
5: christmas. christmas don't miss charles dickens immortal classic scrooge your life it might just
3: Not bad, huh? My favorite part is just that plane exploding. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the world is so terrible and all these horrible things. And it, it basically ends with like somebody shooting a shotgun out of a moving car like right into somebody's face. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frank gets some pushback from Elliot Loudermilk, played by a youngish Bobcat Goldthwaite. I was uh, uh, Matt, I would describe you as kind of a, a Bobcat Goldthwait type. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Both in look and yeah. in voice. Right.
4: <laughs> I, I, I will say I always could not stand Bobcat Goldthwait uh, <laughs> like in all of the movies that I would see him in. I mean, not like... How many movies in, did you see him in? I, it's not like he was in everything, but I just feel <laughs> like he would pop up in things in the 80s. And I hated that affected voice. It annoyed me to no end. I did not think that he was funny.
3: Yeah, I've never really known like how much of that is like a character and how much he actually sounds like that. I don't know.
4: I don't know. I mean, I've heard him like in his older age and he sounds like way more normal. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I'm more I mean, he like directed some episodes of like Mark Marin's show and like has directed a couple smaller movies that I thought were fine. Like I I'm more of a fan of his now, I would say.
3: Okay. Well, Elliot disagrees with this ad. <laughs> doesn't really see that this is think this is a good idea and so
4: seems like a good point though i mean i just don't really get how this is gonna attract viewers
3: well i don't know but this is frank is in charge and that's a good point he's kind of this ruthless 80s style villain almost and he ends up firing elliot and this is something that frank takes joy in but he doesn't even do face to face. He kind of has his personal assistant just call handle security, it. basically. Yeah, and just toss him out of the building, and he kind of takes joy in this.
4: Also, during this sequence, his assistant she had her son's artwork hanging up, and he's just like, "Get that off! It's terrible." <laughs> and it's like we find out her son's like disabled, basically. I mean, <laughs> it's so kind this of like is a, like
3: pretty ruthless. A precursor to that internet guy Maddox or whatever that would make fun of. Uh, oh boy, kids' drawings or whatever. And we'll check in throughout the movie with Elliot periodically as he comes to grips with being fired. And, you know, we see him trying to work up the courage to tell his wife and basically has this meltdown and he's getting drunk and he keeps trying to get drunk and keeps getting interrupted. And it's kind of like a recurring gag throughout the movie. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of those. It's, I don't know, it's kind of annoying, but he'll factor into the ending. I mean, he does come back, yeah. We can kind of pause on Elliot for now. Anyway, so. After he does the whole thing with running his ad, then he kind of goes through the Christmas list with his personal assistant Grace Cooley, played by Alfred Woodard, and he's deciding what which ones to give bath towels to versus giving VHS home video recorders to, and it's mo- mostly bath towels even to his own brother. Which yes, a guy Grace who, can't even understand by all
4: intents and purposes seems to be filthy rich. Yeah, <laughs> is giving towels with the network logo on them yeah
3: and his only brother james gets a bath towel and most of them get bath towels except for a couple of people i guess he wants to kiss up to alfrey woodard still in like tons of shit now she's been around forever her birthday is november 8th just like me wow i feel like pointing that out how about that so then frank's boss mr rhinelander comes down He's played by Robert Mitchum, the legendary Oh, that's right. Eddie actor. Coyle himself. And he's kind of I don't know, his character is strange too. Like all that's like one of the weird things about this movie is like there's a lot of characters you think that they're all gonna somehow piece together that's into some bigger story, but they really don't. Right.
4: I know. I, I even feel that way with the assistant, even though like her son factors into the end. Yeah, you
3: expect there to be, like, more with her and Frank by the end of the movie. And that's the thing. I
4: know, like, we talk about the Bob Cratchit thing and how it's kind of split between those two characters. But really, neither of them have the impact of, like, a Bob Cratchit.
3: No, I mean, this is certainly Murray's movie, and it's never not right there's never even a hint that anyone else is a main character but mr rhinelander wants to have programming for cats and dogs which i guess is supposed to be funny it really doesn't play funny no especially now in 2018 when people would probably think that's a good idea in fact i think like roku does have channels for cats and dogs
4: yeah (laughs) i mean
3: which is kind of disturbing yeah we're living in that world but okay
4: well i mean how many people have just like their own instagram handles for like their dog You know, that's the world we live in.
3: Including Alexander Daddario.
4: That's right. Well,
3: yeah, but certain people are allowed, (laughs) you know. (laughs) There's an exception. Right. We also meet Bryce Cummings, who's, like, kind of a guy that is supposed to be, like, a threat to Frank.
4: This name I find
3: ridiculous. Yeah, and he's definitely, I mean, he references Spago. He definitely has that, like, American Psycho vibe.
4: He, and also, like, kind of has that dress reminiscent of, like, uh kyle mclaughlin from showgirls you know like
3: <laughs> yeah kind of the same hair and right presentation and the whole thing yeah
4: do you think that bryce cummings is interested in frank's job <laughs> based on the way he's
3: acting eventually he's hired to quote help frank relieve him of all the stress that and all his overworked hours and all that stuff but yeah i mean he essentially is trying to take frank's job right. frank's brother played by john murray shows up all of Bill's brothers make their way into this film in one way or another. Yeah. They're kind of walking along the street. There's like a band playing. Kind of weird that Miles Davis is in that band. That is weird. It's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> he, he just makes a cameo as like a street musician. He only was like alive for a couple more years after this movie and didn't really appear in that many things as like an actor or anything. So it's kind of a real yeah, really. weird,
4: real eclectic cast in this movie. <laughs>
3: <laughs> just threw random people in there. Frank shoots his brother's invitation to Christmas dinner down, and I think we understand the type of guy that Frank Cross is. I feel like you understand it well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. No, I'm not like some ruthless, mean-spirited, ultra-successful...
4: I don't know. Maybe we'll put like a survey out there on Twitter, a <laughs> poll for the listeners to see if they agree with that statement. I don't feel like
3: I've ever stepped on anybody to get ahead. I don't think... I- I don't think I'm like this at all. I mean, yeah, shooting down invitations to things, maybe, but...
4: Yeah, I don't know. The way that he just is so willing to blow off Karen Allen. (laughs) (laughs) No, Karen
3: Allen is like, well, we'll get to it. Okay. Let's not jump ahead. So I I would say that we understand the type of guy Frank is because, in fact, the next thing we see him do is trick an old lady to swipe her cab away as she's trying to get in. I mean, this is like that low down of a character. (laughs) I mean he's literally like <laughs> that's right, yeah. fooling an old lady and then flicking her off as they drive away. And yeah, those are one abrasive. of the moments in the movie where you're just like are they going to a level that's no longer even remotely real?
4: I do think that's why when we first start getting like the glimpses of his past it 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 just feels so weird because it's hard to really believe that he was ever good.
3: Yeah, well. They didn't really give him like a solid origin story, really. Well, yeah. But we'll get to it. We're we're jumping all over. All right, all right. Yeah, stay on task here. As we mentioned, I feel like Grace turns out to be the real Bob Cratchit of Scrooge because we do see her poorer part of the city. We find out that her youngest son doesn't speak, although we don't find out why yet. And it's kind of allowing for more of a backstory to the Grace character, whereas we never really get anything with Elliot, and he's mostly just comedic yeah, effect. Yeah, he
4: just has, like, this sad firing, and then it's like he's not really in the picture again until the end.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, they show him, like, trying to drink and all that stuff. But, That's true. We do check in. But yeah. yeah, and there's no... Sorry,
4: I tried to block that part we out. We never see because, his family.
3: Oof. We never really get too much of an explanation about him. So, it's. I mean, Grace, for... All of the shortcomings of that character is way more involved in the story than Elliot for True. sure. Yeah. So Frank alone back at the office mixing tab with vodka reminded me of was, Bill Murray from Kingpin where he orders Tangaree and tab was. oh is I, that like a recurring joke to Bill Murray to mix know. tab I, with is things?
4: tab was that a real drink? I didn't even it, know what that. No, was. it exists now. Oh, currently it
3: went off the market for a while. It's made. They by, all come back. I can't remember if it's made by Coke or Pepsi. It's just a diet. It's like a Diet Coke or okay. a Diet Pepsi. It, and it's back on the market. Yeah, you can buy Maybe it. Maybe
4: the next time we go to like it's AMC at the bar, I'll,
3: I'll try the- A Tangray and Tab. Yeah. <laughs> He's just kind of hanging by himself. And that's when the ghost of Frank's former boss, Lou Hayward, shows up in the Jacob Marley role. And just kind of- as I was mentioning at the beginning of this, like the uh, the horror elements of this. I mean, Lou is basically like a zombie. Y-
4: yeah, almost mummified looking. Yeah,
3: really kind of a wild look. And that is kind of that whole thing about who is this movie for. Because I do feel like teenagers over a certain age would probably be a little too jaded for this. And yet it's probably a little too scary for kids.
4: Yeah, it does look...
3: I mean it looks So is this straight up marketed towards adults in 1988? I don't
4: 1988? know some of the stuff is pretty creepy and like when you get to see the actual like death character later there's some weird stuff yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Hayward, right? Is that this guy's name? Lou Hayward. Obviously we know the classic story with Scrooge and Jacob Marley and they were like business partners, but what was Hayward's role in Frank's Rise to
3: Well, he was Frank's former boss. We see him in one of the Ghosts of Christmas Past flashbacks, the one where he, where, um, Frank is dressed up like the dog. Okay,
4: yeah, the real important one.
3: And he's hanging with that secretary. That's That chick that plays this, that secretary who's going to go out to dinner with him is unbelievable yeah. looking. I was like on IMDb, I was like, was that's she in right. anything else? I, I,
4: for some reason, I was <laughs> thinking that that was Mitchum that had invited him to dinner, but that's right. No, that's,
3: that was Lou back yeah. in the day. Let's get back to Lou as he shows up now in Frank's office okay. in 88. I mean, he's got that mouse coming out of the back of his head. Yeah, that's... With a golf ball. Oh, boy. <laughs> Basically, he died an unloved old piece of shit, and he's oh, no. here to warn Frank that he's on the wrong path. Yeah. And he takes the line directly from Jacob Marley, mankind should have been my business.
4: Yeah, but that's not really fun. <laughs> I mean, come on.
3: In a weird way, when I was like watching this stuff and thinking about where we're at in this country and, and the whole thing, I, like, I was you like- You know
4: what? This country could learn something from Jacob Marley.
3: I was like, is this similar to V for Vendetta in terms of timeliness? Like, Maybe. is this more timely now than ever, this movie? <laughs> they do mention <laughs> Trump Tower in it. And so, Lou tells Frank that he's going to be visited by three ghosts. He holds him out of the window at one point and then just drops him.
4: Oh, yeah. That, so, that is- I mean,
3: that's, Again, it's like, if you're a little kid, this movie is way too scary. And I know yeah, I keep harping on intense. it, but I often feel like versions of A Christmas Carol are aimed at kids. As you pointed out, there's the Muppet one, right. there's the Mr. Magoo one, there's yes. a bunch of child-themed ones. This one is definitely an older demographic. I just am thinking, I guess, in terms of how they market movies today, and like how would this movie get made, who would be the market for this, how would they make money with it. Yet, somehow, this movie was pretty successful. I don't know. I think times change.
4: I I would say so, yeah.
3: (laughs) The people that were going to see this movie in 88 don't exist now. Yeah, you really (laughs) summed it up. (laughs) So he calls Claire. Oh, actually, no. The ghost dials Claire, and so then he talks to her, or he leaves a message. Which
4: I actually think that that part is so weird. The
3: fact that Claire is a factor at this juncture... Well, I guess Lou knew that claire needed to be involved because i'm assuming it's him that's dialing you don't see a hand it's just the phone is dialing on its own so
4: the claire factor does make it different from like the classic christmas carol story what well, because scrooge does have a girl from the past yeah but, but like, she doesn't
3: really get right yeah and, and her name like, is bell which is the name of the cab company that yeah the one ghost is driving around in but yeah
4: so i i just felt like it's so strange that he calls Claire. You well, know? I think
3: this is one of the things they adjusted in the script that Bill Murray wanted more of was the relationship between well, it's certainly him a and heavy
4: factor in it. It does feel like that's what the movie is about. Yeah, right? it. I,
3: and I think I get what you're saying though. If they toned this element down, it's like what would there be? Yeah. And there, there isn't a whole lot there because I think what they were looking for was since we're not focusing very much on. A Bob Cratchit or a Tiny Tim or anything like that, that we have to solely rely on Scrooge as the main character. So, what, in terms of his redemption, why would we care? We need to care about his redemption. But so, they, they like, a- introduced Claire as, like, okay, here's a reason we want him to be redeemed.
4: And it's weird that they introduce her by him calling her after they have a seemingly long period of time of having an estranged well, it's 15 years, yeah. yes
3: which is crazy but he doesn't call her the ghost does well i understand but who do you think she thinks the ghost called her <laughs> i don't know she seems to be willing to just take whatever he says well that's what all i mean. The movie. i feel like
4: this movie also like presupposes a lot of things that just you never would now like a cute chick like claire is just willing to get this going again
3: well, yeah, we're going to get into their relationship. Okay, all right. Yeah. I, mean, I keep ins- wanting to get there. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> we're, just, we're not ready about yeah. Nothing about it makes any sense. Okay, so presumably the next day, because he leaves this message, she doesn't answer, whatever. Presumably the next day, an old woman has died watching Frank Scrooge ad. He doesn't care. He's actually thrilled by it.
4: <laughs> the, the, uh, you, when
3: we get that reaction from a listener of this show. <laughs> yeah, people have died of boredom listening to this show. <laughs> The woman that tells him this is the mom from Goonies, like somebody on his little staff, the same staff that he fired Elliot from. She was Robert Zemeckis' ex-wife. I feel like we maybe Mary pointed Ellen out Trainor.
4: in the Goonies episode, pretty cute.
3: Yeah, okay. and she died in 2015, so Sad. rest in peace. right. So yeah, she makes an appearance in like all of- not all of, but a lot of Richard Donner's movies, True. as we were talking about off mic. Yeah, she's the... Uh, Goonies, um, Lethal Weapon. She's in
4: the Lethal Weapon movie. She's like the uh, police psychiatrist or whatever.
3: So then we have a running gag. I don't know if we need to spend a ton of time on this, but I, th- I thought I would bring it up at least now. Uh, the network sensor played by this woman... Who constantly is getting injured throughout the movie, but right. her first problem is that the nipples are visible on the solid gold dancers' outfits.
4: Which for some would reason, be a problem for network television. You would I think, like. yeah. but I mean,
3: it's supposed to be funny, I guess. Right. And I, it's kind of interesting why the solid gold dancers are even a part of the Scrooge presentation. Well, that's presentation. The thing.
4: I feel like isn't that sort of like exotic enough to draw attention to it? I mean, I feel like these dancers. I mean, they're certainly sensual, right?
3: Yeah, a I mean, little how. Bit? I mean, I think it's time to say, I mean, how bad does this actual production of A Christmas Carol look? Like, how bad would this be? Awful, yeah. I mean, it seems like it has some train wreck value, maybe. You're watching a live disaster on Christmas Eve. Very strange. But Claire shows up on set, played by Karen Allen, who is kind of like one of those dream women of the 80s that, you know, is still around, but, like, had her, like, moment of being in big things, including have, like, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And...
4: several things to say about Karen Allen.
3: Okay, let's hear it. I think that it. she's, like,
4: super pretty. Well, yeah, I Thoughts? mean, you're not really going out on okay. a limb. All right, but here's <laughs> the thing. <laughs> so, Super Q basically playing the ideal woman
3: in this movie, right? I mean... I mean, I don't know. I would say that she's playing... I mean, she's <laughs> willing to just forgive... Saying it's an ideal woman is yeah. almost kind of sexy. It's like ideal person. She's a dream. She's so unrealistic. It doesn't she doesn't make any sense right. as a person. Okay,
4: yeah. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's what I mean. But the weird thing with Karen Allen for me is like I always like kind of quietly am angry at her because of her character in Animal House, where she's like the nice girlfriend who cheats on her boyfriend with the older professor. Uh-huh. Ugh. It never sat right with me. You're carrying
3: movie to movie grudges. That's now. right. Oh, yeah, God. I,
4: I just can't. I I couldn't get over that.
3: But in this movie, Frank is insane. I mean, he's so mean and angry. He's yelling at Grace's kid, the little boy who's shown up on set. He's threatening to staple antlers to a live mouse's head. You sort know, of a yelling wild at everybody. Thing, yeah. And Karen somehow unfazed by what a monster he is. And this is kind of like a recurring thing. I don't know. I guess like she kind of just leaves. Because he's busy and kind of doesn't go anywhere. And then Frank goes to lunch with his boss, Mr. Rhinelander. He learns officially that Bryce Cummings has been hired to lessen his load. During this lunch with Mr. Lou's Lou Hayward's words are ringing in his ears as he was to expect the first ghostly visit at noon that day. So they're sitting at lunch and then he starts freaking out because he's thinking like, okay, this ghost might show up. Yeah, he doesn't really act very, doesn't keep us cool here, you would say. Yeah, and in a weird way, watching this scene, they're sitting at lunch in this restaurant. It's supposed to be like a nice place. He's with his boss, Robert Mitchum. This Bryce guy has shown up to like kind of undermine him. He's kind of freaking out about it, and it kind of felt reminiscent of that lunch scene from the nineteen ninety. It okay with which like we the, always get back to with like the That's fortune right. cookies. Oh yeah, yeah, and everything with the eyeball because there's an yeah. eyeball in his glass. Yes, Frank, that's right. And then there's a waiter on fire that no one else can see except for him. Yeah, that's true. And he throws the water on him and he makes that Richard Pryor joke, but he's freaking out. Which I
4: didn't even. I guess is that a reference to Richard Pryor doing drugs or something?
3: Well, yeah, he lit himself on fire accidentally. It was kind of like a famous. Okay, thing, all right. He did it in his act. Gotcha. Talked about it. Okay,
4: but that's the thing of you know timely references in movies.
3: Yeah, I mean I don't know I wasn't really around for that, but I I know what that well, is. Well, yeah, but you're like the king of pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here, folks. That's right. So, the ghost of Christmas Past finally shows up in a cab, played by David Johansson of the New York Dolls. Seemed to get the role due to his friendship with Bill Murray. Originally, they were wanting Sam Kennison for the part, which would have probably Whoa. been funnier and better. Although, it's not what like. What year did he die? I don't know. Hmm. I think he was still alive in 88. I don't pretty know. Sure. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, not the... Johansson is bad. I mean, this is he's not really like an actor, I guess. I mean, I guess he's probably been in other stuff, but
4: I was expecting I guess like of the what I remember of a Christmas Carol, like the first ghost to be more of like the fairy doll type where is really that's the second ghost in this movie. Yeah, and I have
3: a lot of thoughts on Carol Kane, but okay, we'll get yeah. to that. I don't know, it's kinda he's playing like this taxi driver which was such a big thing in like 80s movies that 80s taxi driver trope of like New York City yeah sometimes it'd be like a wild like s taxi driver right sometimes it'd be like some sort of weird sex pervert degenerate or yeah some, something crazy there'd always be like a crazy cab routine in these like 80s movies it's very common this is kind of up that alley I mean he's playing a ghost but he's this wild guy yeah very eccentric smoking drinking and then it's a ghost cab, so he's not really caring about driving. I
0: right, cut through the park and take me over to. Whoa! Hey, man! Oh! Oh! Ah!
1: Wrong oh, oh, way, Jerk! Nice
0: hit back there, solid hit!
5: Frank, enjoy the ride! How do you know my name? I know absolutely everything, Frank. You see, I'm the ghost. (laughs) Hey, you don't mind if I smoke, do you? Smoke,
0: smoke, just drive! is where i grew
3: up so they go to the past the first stop is 1955 now okay so this is one of the issues with this movie is how old is frank supposed to be during various parts of this because they seem to fuck this up almost immediately (laughs) because okay let's start it out 1955 it's a sad home life for a child not much of a christmas celebration going on you can already see Frank's love of TV, though he's taking a lot of comfort there. There doesn't seem to be a lot of love between his parents or f- his father and him.
4: And already you're like, yeah, this is a character
3: <laughs> I can relate to. So we find out that Frank lived his life vicarious- vicariously through television. That's kind of thrown in his face by the Ghost of Christmas Past at one point. Yeah, whenever. I mean, the,
4: uh should be pointed out, the Ghost of Christmas Past is kind of a dick.
3: Yeah, they're all kind of dicks right. to him. yeah. <laughs> which you kind of it kind of works though because if you're gonna make Frank so kind of mean and insane, you in need this, somebody to like take him down
4: a couple pegs,
3: yeah. And they're kind of like bullying him a little bit, which is kind of fun. And his dad gets him like a cut of veal for Christmas rather than the choo choo train that he <laughs> yeah. it wants. It's kind of this whole sad thing. And then they jump to 1968. Well, oh, okay, so first, back in 1955, Whoa. his mom says that he's four years old. That means he was born in fifty one. Okay. So in nineteen sixty eight, they're at this office Christmas party. So he's supposed to be seventeen in that scene. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. You know what? This is a the- he looks forty. Well, here's in the, the thing. flashback.
4: I I did want I wanted to get wait till we got to this stuff, but I will say one thing that just really stood out to me, like stuck with me, is this the worst job of making someone look younger in a flashback sequence. Because <laughs> they just give him a horrible ever, mullet. Yeah, and he just does not look younger at all to me. Yeah,
3: well, there's that He issue. looks
4: exactly the same, just his hair is worse.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's very similar to what we just went through with private parts, but like they at least address it and you kind of just move on with the idea that... And it's funny. ...Howard yeah. is in college. But, like, yeah, in this one, I'm willing to roll with it. I'm willing to roll with the fact that he's supposed to be younger. I don't care. But it doesn't make sense to me that he would have that job. Well, he definitely doesn't look 17. <laughs> Well no, but he wouldn't it doesn't matter. Like he wouldn't why right. is he working in this office at that age? Exactly, he, he would be yeah. in high school. It doesn't even make sense. So there's this office Christmas party, we see Rebecca Arthur who played Marianne from Perfect Strangers. She's taking photocopies of her butt. Yeah, She's any playing chance Tina. we get to
4: reference perfect strangers, yeah that always makes She us looks happy.
3: like an absolute dream. It's absurd that on Perfect Strangers she was the love interest of Balky, who you obviously didn't know who that was. That's the dude from <laughs> right. True Romance. Yes. I love that she's, like, photocopying her butt. I I mean, it's in underwear.
4: Should we comment on the fact that this party seems like it's not really of the current era?
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it's a little wild. Yeah. (laughs) This is back when parties could like be fun. Be a,
4: yeah, a lot of HR violations at this Christmas party. I love
3: that she just has that stack of like those pictures of her butt in her underwear from the copier. This she is... just says, pass those out. She just hands them to someone
4: and says, pass those out. <laughs> this is, by the way, also something that has happened in movies and probably like on TV to a degree like so many times. The photocopying of the ass. Yeah. How many times has that happened in real life?
3: I mean, they were using that as recently as office christmas party the jason bateman movie from a couple years ago and and really like I think they were doing like 3d printers of like their dicks or something i don't know it was like (laughs) i mean it was crazy stuff
4: how good would that really be though like a hot chick photocopies her
3: ass i mean i would take it if they were handing (laughs) those out i would take it
4: i i'm sure but it's just like i I,
3: I don't really know that you're
4: really getting a lot there you know what i mean 68 though it just seems like It's one of those things that seems better than it actually
3: is. Yeah, well, I mean, that's everything. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Even back then in 68, Frank is obsessed with work. He's not enjoying the party. One of my favorite things, though, is current day Frank watching the 1968 version of himself pass up the opportunity to get with Tina. Oh, that's right. It's so hilarious. yeah, he's
4: so, like, down on himself. Like, (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? Which, I mean, to be fair, if you were put in this position... Of viewing yourself in like these types of situations i mean yeah there might be some hangings going on you know
3: yeah i mean i will say it does hit a little close to home it reminds me of this story i i don't really remember all of the details i just remember like me and my cousin were like really young and it was like a friend of my uncle or something he was like this kind of comedically big guy like fat had glasses i mean the type of dude that you could conceivably believe would be like a virgin at like 58 or something you know what i mean okay. like
4: not like not a lot of comedy there for me more sadness
3: <laughs> not like a total weirdo but kind of goofy like not that he definitely was but you could believe it right what i'm saying yeah, like, yeah something like that and for some reason he was like driving me and my cousin somewhere and i remember he was like telling us the story that we were way too young to really even understand at the time but it was basically like he was driving along one night when he was younger. I mean, he was probably in his, like, 40s at this time, so he was probably, like, you know, 20 years earlier in his 20s okay. or something. And he said that, like, there was some woman broken down on the side of the road oh, who needed, no. like, her Where is this tire changed or something. And so, like, he pulls over, and he's describing how beautiful this woman is. She's so gorgeous and blah, blah, blah. I mean, meanwhile, me and my cousin, I'm probably, like, seven. He's probably, like, <laughs> six or something. And we're just, like, okay. Yeah. And, you know, he's going on and on, get, and like, on about scared. it. And he, like, changes her tire, and he helps her, and he does all this stuff. And he's like, so then, after I change her tire, she says, I only live, like, another mile down the road. Would you like to come have a cup of coffee with me? And I told her no, because I didn't really want to have coffee. Well. And then he just, like, there's this pause, because me and my cousin not getting it. And then he goes, I'm such an idiot.
1: He's, <laughs> like, going on and on
3: we told like my uncle or something about it. He's just like, yeah, I don't know if you should say those kind of stories or whatever. Right. <laughs> Cause it's like, we didn't really even get like well, what he yeah, was talking about. But yeah,
4: <laughs> I mean, that is, uh, I don't know. That is oddly relatable though. I, I could see myself in a situation like that of just being like too nervous Well, I, or just like Not legitimately. Be, yeah. Being like, I no, I don't want coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, are you kidding me? It's it's the evening. I don't want to drink coffee right now. Yeah, that's Plus, true. Plus, also, I just feel like I would never be in that situation because I don't think there's any scenario in which I would pull over to help somebody. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
3: Well, especially now, it's like people have cell phones. You don't oh need yeah, to do that
4: right. And it's just like, even if it is a chick, it would be for with my luck, it would be like the Charlie's Theron from Monster or something. <laughs> like, I would just
3: be like, so dead. So Frank passes up his opportunity with the office slut Tina, who's photocopying her ass, but. He I know, meets that's Claire thing. presumably that same night, would so it really turns look, out to be the right move.
4: Would you really look back on that much regret on the Tina situation? I mean, it seems like I'm, I'm projecting that she's the office
3: slut. I don't know. She
0: might, <laughs> she,
4: maybe she just got a little carried away tonight. You know.
3: I mean, it was her underwear. It wasn't like it was a bare ass on there. Well, I you mean, you were the think, one that
4: said slut. Now you're
3: I, <laughs> walking. Well, it back. I was making a joke. Yeah, this yeah. Is a, supposed to be a fun podcast. Is it? Yeah, we do a comedy show. I don't really know what. Tina's like but my point is yeah he would should be fine with it because he met Claire that same night and we know that things worked out pretty well and Claire who's just like a goddess <laughs> so they have their like little meet cute where she hits him on the head with the door blah, blah blah we we jumped to a year later 1969 Claire in the bathtub
4: Woodstock going on just pandemonium in the United States
3: it almost seemed like they were living together at that point that's but what the way I took I, it I don't think so though, because later in the one like two years later with the dog, he says something like, I could come over later. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I don't know. But they're exchanging gifts, we're seeing like happiness. This is again, I'm pointing out the timeline doesn't really make sense. He's like supposed to be eighteen at this point. He (laughs) clearly seems like he's thirty eight. Like it doesn't really make sense. So nineteen seventy one, Frank is playing Frisbee the Dog on some children's show. Embarrassing. I think this Although is where is the movie like, always kind of starts to reel me in, though, because this is, like, such a journey through the past. It's shocking
4: and, how into the role he is.
3: Well, he's trying to get ahead. Yeah. I mean, he's doing what he has to do. But, like, I'm thinking of it more of, like, hitting, like, okay, so we hit 68, 69, 71, all of these important mi- milestones with his relationship with Claire. And I don't know. It's kind of a recurring thing in movies that I like is that kind of journey through the past. Yeah. And then it's especially in this sense where he's able to watch it himself and see all of his own mistakes. It's so relatable. (laughs) You're just like, what the fuck? That's right. (laughs) You idiot. (laughs) So he prioritizes his career over Claire whenever Lou wants to take him and Claire to dinner with his secretary because Lou's wife's out of town. Now, I do. This
4: is one thing where I do feel like he is a dick to Claire. But I don't really feel like this is a breakup worthy offense.
3: Well, I guess you're I mean, it's a movie, so I you, I think you're supposed to assume that this is like There's a been pattern. Like, yeah, of a lot of bad. They can't like give you because they're trying to do this whole bigger thing with like the three ghosts and they got to get back to reality. I mean, you can't spend 45 minutes. We can't see all showing like, the, you the, the highs fights, and the lows, like
4: throwing like
3: silverware at each other, <laughs> just throwing a plate of spaghetti at the wall. Yeah. <laughs>
4: but we can assume that that led up to this.
3: Yeah, and the relationship fizzles because it's it's clear I think the idea is that his whole focus is getting ahead in his career and not his relationship with Claire and right. he's kind of taking her for granted. That kind of ends the Ghost of Christmas Past. Back in reality, Frank runs to go see Claire at the homeless shelter she works at because that she's that much of an angel of a person that she's not only this sweet, understanding person, but she also works at a homeless shelter. Yeah, dedicates really her whole life to the homeless. Claire is equally as ridiculous as Frank, but just in the opposite of that's right way. Like She's too perfect and good, and she's so ready. Almost immediately, almost to this first scene, she's so ready to forgive and forget and get back together. And it's supposed to be 15 years later. I know, she should be like... I'd be like, fuck off. We dated for a couple years, 15 years ago. Oh, I know. Yeah. I think maybe that's part of the problem is they made that gap like way too big. Well, I know. And that's 15 years seems insane. I know. Well, and it's like, who is he? Me? Claire. (laughs) I mean, there should be like
4: a line of executives ready to date her. She's beautiful. She's a great person. She works with the homeless all the time. Well, I don't <laughs> think like, you
3: even need to say executives. I just think like decent. I'm just guys. talking
4: about like guys who
3: are loaded and like.
4: <laughs> well, you she know. doesn't
3: seem to care about that kind of stuff. But just decent people in general. I mean, there'd be. I know, but there those would are be the guys, guys that have the confidence to go for like a Claire. Right. You know. No, I think there'd be plenty of guys. I just all think right. there would be easy. Yeah,
4: that's the point. That there, it, there's no way Claire would just be waiting around. For Frank to get his shit together,
3: (laughs) she was so busy working at the homeless shelter. Yeah, she she didn't have time. time.
4: (laughs) Yeah, to kind of like get out there and live a little.
3: Frank shows up though, unraveling, ranting. He's confused for a homeless guy at first. One of the homeless women, I don't know if you noticed, was the mom, the Fratelli's mom from the. I did notice. Hard not to notice her. She has a very distinct look. (laughs) She's another one who passed away shortly after this movie was made maybe even like that same year she,
4: a little bit more believable for her that she's not around anymore than the mom <laughs> wasn't the that goonies. old though
3: okay not that she would still be alive now but well, she guess wasn't she's as a old mom as from the goonies too.
4: two moms from the goonies in this so they movie. do this
3: whole weird bit here where like some of the homeless guys are confusing frank for the actor richard burton and it's kind of a reference to a sketch that bill murray did on snl and so okay. he breaks yeah, into I, the I character really at one point it. yeah it it's very strange. It's like the whole Liz and Dick story, like he was married to Elizabeth Taylor at one point and Okay, yeah. That's what he's referencing when he's saying Liz. I mean, it's like a whole thing that's kinda weird and It I feels out of place. Yeah. It's almost like Frank and Claire are like about to get back together right there and then in the shelter, but then he like flips out about different shit and She's kind of like put off because he's like being mean to the other people that work there and to the homeless people. So, I so mean, then he just returns to the studio in a bad mood. It's like he's learned nothing so far. No, and it's like, well, why did he even show up? I don't just know. just to be mean. Yeah. So by the time he gets back to the studio, Bryce is kind of taken over Scrooge. Which this is another part though where you're just like,
4: okay, she got the message. She showed up and talked to him, and it's, he's not much better than he was 15 years ago. And then no. we have this scene. I just feel like Claire would be like, you know what? I'm good. Right.
3: Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it, she's so ready to forgive that, like, you almost want to just shoot Frank in the face. It's like, dude, what are you doing?
4: Well, when they <laughs> have that scene where he would want he's going to go to dinner with his boss instead of going to dinner with her and their friends, their relationship feels so stale in that scene. Like, they were, st- like, just holding on, you yeah. know? It, but that's... but. This movie is played in a way that, like, they have this old great love.
3: Yeah, and there's that, not a lot of time spent. Like, yeah, really it's very sloppy and rushed, yeah. and you don't really know. You just have to make a lot of assumptions with the characters for this to really work. Right. Like, they just don't show you enough, really. I mean, that's kind of how the whole thing is. It's it, Like I said, I mean, it's very, like, it has that kind of thrown-together feel. Yeah. Which doesn't really come together till the end, because... We've just spent like the last 20, 25 minutes talking. We haven't even mentioned Grace or Elliot or any of the characters like in modern day. Yet it's they're like they're seemingly important. Yeah, you get lost in all these little side alleys, that a lot of which don't really go anywhere. Right.
2: <laughs> Hello, Frank. I'm the ghost of Christmas present.
0: I had a funny feeling. Uh, why <laughs> did you do that?
2: Sometimes you have to slap them in the face just to get their attention.
0: Fine, slap me in the face. But you kicked me in the wall. It's time Arr. to begin the
2: journey. Now, close your eyes and think.
0: No, you close your eyes.
2: Oh, no. I'm through. Don't be you close, close your eyes. Of snowflakes, and moonbeams, and whiskers on kittens, No picking! Of rainbows, forget-me-nots. Of misty meadows and sun-dappled pools. Oh, look. There's Mr. Hedgehog. I wonder where he's going. Perhaps to Harlem! (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs>
2: oh, 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 no. <laughs> oh practice! <laughs> oh, boy, my jaw. Oh, sometimes the truth is painful, Frank. Uh-huh. But it's made your cheeks all rosy and your eyes bright as stars.
0: If you touch me again, I'm gonna rip your goddamn wings off. Okay?
2: Oh, you know, I like the rough stuff, don't you, Frank?
3: So the next is the Ghost of Christmas Present, played by Carol Kane. She's kind of like this cross between a fairy godmother ma- slash Glenda the Good Witch.
4: Is she semi sexualized?
3: I will say this: she's kind of like this weird, sadistic character right. that keeps attacking Frank. And I, it she does seems something to crazy. me. Crazy, yeah. <laughs> I think it did something to me as a kid when I first saw this movie, and I'm, I, I'm only never, like, like gotten coming gotten to grips that. with it yeah. now. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Carol Kane. It was kind of like indicative of the type of women you'd be attracted to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really? Yeah, I mean, she's been around forever. She was nominated for an Oscar at one point. She's been in movies since the she's early 70s. She's so
4: recognizable. And she's <laughs> just one of those.
3: Yeah, I mean, she was in Princess Bride supporting around people, this time, yeah. and now she's in un- Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I mean, she's been around forever. And th- there's something sexy about this character to me that I, think I just so. can't quite yeah. shake. It's and the she, whole package, like the voice plus the violence. <laughs> and,
4: and just like the ball busting, too. Like, she's really riding yeah. Frank
3: a bit. She's really one of the highlights of this movie for me. Okay, yeah. In a way. I think so. But she takes Frank around to the various Christmases going on in 1988. At first, they go to Harlem to see Grace's family, her struggles. This is where we kind of get a lot of backstory. Back
4: that to the Bob Cratchit. Yeah.
3: yeah, this fills in a lot of the gaps, though, because we learn that Grace's husband was killed, and that's when her youngest son, Calvin, stopped speaking, but there's a lot of love and Christmas spirit in her house, despite the hardship, so you're kind of like very reminiscent of the Cratchit family, right. where they have all that shit going on in the original, and yet they seem a lot happier than Scrooge, who's this miserable old miser. Right. So it's very telling. The next stop is James's place, Frank's brother, who still loves and respects him, even though Frank has treated him like shit for years.
4: Yeah, A, a nice little gathering going on here, everyone yeah. having fun. Very, like, 80s hipster. Frank. Yeah.
3: They seem to be living in, like, some kind of cool loft that everyone in New York lived in in <laughs> right? the 80s yes. movies, yet I don't know how anyone ever afforded. Yeah. It's
4: basically, like, San Elmo's
3: Fire. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I love how, like, they're supposed to be, like, James is, like, his poor brother, and it's, like, this place he's living in. It's, like, what is this place? Yeah, I know. <laughs> but Wendy Malick plays James's wife or girlfriend. I don't know. She was on Just Shoot Me for years. She was married to the co-writer of this movie, Mitch Glazer, at the time. But Glazer is now married to podcast favorite Kelly Lynch from Roadhouse. So, so.
4: really, just any chance to point out that Mitch Glazer, pretty cool guy. Yeah,
3: legend. <laughs> Turns out that Grace got James the VCR after all, which kind of infuriates Frank at first. But you can kind of see, like, the combination of seeing what's going on at Grace's house and also what's going on at this party that he didn't go to at his brother's house is kind of wearing away a little bit at him. Yeah, He's kind of seeing, like... It's like,
4: did I really send people bath towels? <laughs> you do think that would be, like, a reflective moment of all of this? <laughs> the bath towels like free bath towels from the network
3: well i think part of it is he uh, he sees despite the fact that maybe like wendy and and their friends kind of are shit talking frank a little bit that like james still loves and respects him and it's kind of like it's he's, he's yeah. confronted with well how it, shitty he actually is <laughs> i will
4: say like in the classic scrooge like christmas carol story the idea of Scrooge being like this tight on money businessman seems to be like based in something like his frugality is he's doing things to be frugal even though he's overly frugal but it's like this whole thing with the frank character i mean he doesn't really act like he's being tight on money it more seems like he's just being a
3: dick yeah yeah oh yeah definitely yeah i mean he's only concerned with himself it's not really like he's trying to save money it's more just yeah there's a vindictive side to him and just kind of an asshole nature but this is where we get the whole thing where they're playing like trivial pursuit or something and James and Wendy something can't that think factors of into SS the Minnow. Yeah, Christmas present ends with a frozen homeless guy who we recognize from Claire's shelter, frozen underneath the sewer grate or whatever. That's underground. right. Underground. Yeah. This is where they make the Trump Tower reference. Yes. Uh, this reminded me. This is like kind of like picking different little parts. Like we had the whole tab as a mixer thing from Kingpin, but then this reminds me of another Bill Murray thing from Groundhog Day with like that homeless guy that dies. Oh, true. He yeah. trying to bring him back to life. Right. It's just like there's very like moments that you're like, oh, this kind of reminds me of other Bill this, Murray. yeah, thing. this is
4: actually just an homage to other Bill Murray, even though this appearances was before both of those movies. Well, you know <laughs> a foreshadowing then
3: Frank ends up coming up through the door. he ends up on the set of Scrooge again. he embarrasses himself. he seemingly is losing control now and he's forced to take time off. Bryce is in charge kind of unceremoniously the live presentation just starts. Yeah, and it's I will it's say, very like um, oh this is just happening right now people definitely act like frank is like losing it and it
4: is kind of like a big scene like what's going on with him but it it doesn't really feel like it's impacting frank
3: no but, like, and it's also that kind his of job weird It's
4: kind of like s- theoretically sliding away from him right in front of his face it that doesn't Well really i mean it. he's
3: got a lot of distractions going on he's being visited by ghosts <laughs>
4: i know but it does seem like the the way that Frank is, this would still, like, bother him. But it doesn't seem to be.
3: Well, I don't know. He's. I think he'd be. I think he, anybody would be freaked out after all this stuff that's happened.
4: I know, but he still acts like whenever he has his interaction with What's-Her-Face, Karen Allen, it's like he can go right back to being a dick to her, no problem.
3: Well, the thing that's weird is that the show just kind of starts and they do take control away they from him. They just tell Frank but, like, to go to his office, right? It's unclear as to what role he would really have in the show because he's not like a producer yeah i mean i don't know i guess he was like pretty hands-on i guess but they kind of leave it very open-ended he's supposed to be the president of a network i really don't know if he would be like giving notes on christmas eve so back in his office frank opens his christmas present from james it's a framed picture of them together as small kids scrooge the tv presentation seems to be running smoothly on ibc and then the horror element of the movie returns as the ghost of Christmas Future is about to abduct Frank from behind, but that's when Elliot Loudermilk returns to the movie now armed with a shotgun.
4: In sort of like a falling down moment.
3: Yeah. With Michael well, Douglas. Yeah, and I definitely think that in this time period, whether you want to go like mid eighties to mid nineties, uh, the disgruntled employee angle with was definitely big. <laughs> yeah. So Frank's like kind of dodging being shot by a shotgun. He escapes into well, the you're elevator. We're talking
4: about like we've brought it up a bunch of times before, but pre like mass shootings, this stuff happening in yeah. movies. You know, like this is just stuff that they just wouldn't put in movies now, really. Well, well, not, like, well, not in not, a PG thirteen, right, that's uh, for sure. Yeah, with this sort of vibe to them.
3: Yeah. So Frank gets into the elevator, but his reprieve is only temporary as he finally meets up with the ghost of Christmas Future. Who's kind of like this giant Grim Reaper? Yeah, with horrible monsters underneath its cloak. That
1: is
4: like kind of gross and scary and weird and funny all at the same time. It has a very the fact that like he has to like do the double take. On yeah.
3: it, I enjoyed that. It has a very Jim Henson like the darker stuff, like labyrinth or right. The Dark crystal well, yeah, when you open the thing and it. then
4: like the face is like it's like a Cronenberg thing or something, right, with the television screens. Yeah.
3: From the original version of a Christmas carol, we know that this ghost takes us to horrible, awful Christmases that have yet to happen if we don't change our ways. This is where we're going to end up. I would say like unfortunately for me, I'm at the point in my life where I'm actually living those horrible, awful Christmases right now.
4: The ones where you have to like see your family.
3: Yeah. Well, the ghost of Christmas future has already arrived in my life. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm already living it. There's no ghost coming to take me any further because these are the last few.
4: Yeah, it's just
3: like... (laughs) like, These are the sad ones that I was warned about 10 years ago.
4: Your horrible Christmas is just like having to leave your apartment (laughs) to drive like two miles to your parents' house.
3: Okay, so... In this vision of the future, we see Grace's son Calvin. He's now catatonic and institutionalized. He never came out of it. He this never is started talking. Odd. Yeah, they really tried to You're present like, the what? future as like a really weird. It uh, almost feels
4: like out of a Stanley Kubrick society. Some, some or sort something. of
3: dystopian. Yeah. Su- I don't know what they were going for. And I
4: will say, there's kind of like the Christopher Nolan inception elevator thing. Like they go down the elevator and he's like, yeah. come into different little scenes.
2: Will you look at that? Where did they come from? Hey, you! Beat it! Please! Gilles! Will you look at that? Look at those filthy little creatures! Immediately! Oh, Claire! 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 Claire. Claire. They're just children! Please, darling! Don't tell me! I wasted 20 years of my life on pathetic little creatures like those. Finally, thank God, a friend of mine said to me, scrape them off, Claire. You want to
1: save somebody? Save yourself. I'm
2: sorry, Claire. Thanks a lot, Lumpy.
3: And Claire has become like Frank, kind of heeding his advice and becoming this uncaring, cold person who... <laughs> Talking about... T- oh, shunning the homeless. In thankfully, this
4: Frank set me straight years ago and said, "Why are you wasting your time on the homeless?"
3: <laughs> yeah, it, it's such an over-the-top scene, but it's kind of funny because you're just like, imagine so having absurd. like that sort of an impact on someone. <laughs> and then, like, the real moment of it all is Frank seeing his own cremation. The only people in attendance are James and Wendy. I did like Wendy
4: th- there briefly without James,
3: right? Well, like, yeah, James is like walking up because so it's. The reveal where Frank is supposed to think that it is James, brother, yeah. and then it turns out it's him. It's kind of funny that they show a close up on Wendy's face and she's shedding a tear, right? And you're like, why would she? It was clear that she didn't really like Frank in 1988. This is supposed to be like it well into the future, so she's still carrying that much to even shed a tear. That I mean, I don't know. It Kind of seems strange and against well, I would message. Agree with that, yeah, and maybe that fits in with what I was mentioning about there being more something, to the story. A something going know. on there. I don't know. Not that it's like a sexual relationship, but that there's just more to the story that we don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It always seems like there's hinting at something. Maybe Frank, like, crossed a line one night or something. (laughs) So she's crying that he's dead? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, so it ends up with Frank experiencing what it's like to be inside the burning casket. It's kind of a scary, disturbing moment in a Christmas movie, really. He's, like, in a burning casket. His legs are, like, on fire. Yeah. That's true. Banging to get out. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot to take in, but, you know, we've been over this point already. <laughs> it's not for kids, I guess. <laughs> right. So he returns to reality, then, a changed man, just like Ebenezer Scrooge in The Ridge. He ends up back in his office. He Elliot is still there looking to kill him, but he just hires Elliot back as a high-level executive, twice Although, the salary.
4: what is Frank's actual position at the network anymore? Does he have hiring authority anymore?
3: I don't know. It doesn't seem like he was officially fired. It just seemed like they were bringing in Bryce to like help him out because they thought he was having a mental breakdown or something. Yeah. So then, the but it seems like he
4: may have confirmed that, confirmed their thoughts. Who know? I guess maybe this didn't get back to Mitchum because he's
3: at home. I mean, everybody's about to see the end result right. in a second. But
4: <laughs> well, I know, but it's like already like he had a meltdown on set.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I did, not he didn't really do anything that bad though. I guess not, yeah. He just disappeared. They didn't know where he was. And then he shows up. And but then, then Bryce
4: like, is like, why don't you go upstairs to your office? I'll take Right. From- okay.
3: Well, that's when he was he had disappeared, and then he just showed up in the middle of the set. Oh, that's true, yeah. When he came up through the ground, you know, when the guy Oh, was that's what it is, frozen. Yeah. Right. So I think the only thing was they thought he was having a breakdown because he kept disappearing because he was with those ghosts. That's like he, right, yeah. Leading up to those days, I think he had been on set and involved with the Scrooge production, like, daily, all day. And then, like, all of a sudden he's disappearing and acting weird. So then, Elliot and him go downstairs together to the live broadcast of Scrooge. They have Elliot secure Bryce in the control room, and Frank walks onto the set of the show and starts speaking to the camera.
5: Holy shit, that's Frank Cross. He's
2: drunk. He's nuts. (laughs) He's finished.
0: Ah,
1: Shut up! Don't touch that! Stay
0: out! What's your name, son? Mike. Mike, say hello to your folks, will you? Hi. Mike is doing a great job here for us tonight. Thank you, thank you. That's Frank Cross. Uh, I am. <coughs> is he Frost. supposed to be in the show? I am the president what of the, the, the network. Good evening and Merry Christmas. Christmas. Uh, uh, with me in the booth is Elliot Milk. Elliot, how are we doing up there? Open his mic.
2: Wonderful, but um, I don't think you're going to be president tomorrow.
0: I, at least I am the president uh, of the network tonight. Tomorrow morning, I may not be. You can uh, bet your uh, aunt Aunt Susie's ass can on that. So what are you doing watching television on Christmas Eve? They're paying your salary, you ass! What kind of a a, a rat bastard idiot would schedule a live show on a Christmas Eve? Only you, Frank. (laughs) You know, a week ago, I'd have kicked your butt right out of the building. But, you know something? He's absolutely right. You are looking at a guy who told someone today to staple antlers to a mouse's head to further my career. How many of you people have got the brass cojones to try something like that? Follow him. I, Follow I him. Stay with him. I family. I don't know where he's coming from. Uh, all these people, I'm sure, have incredible families, but I have... Look, I got a great brother. Look at this guy here. My brother James, look how cute he was back then. Oh! Look how he's And look at me with the, the ears, the taxi driving down the street with the doors open. Thank God my hair growing, huh? <laughs> yeah. I got this for Christmas today from him. I gave him a towel. The VCR is from Grace, James. You were right about everything, okay? Except S.S. Minnow, James. What was the ship that brought them all to Gilligan's Island? The S.S. Minnow. No points this round, James.
2: Shit. What? Wait a minute.
0: How did he Wait,
2: wait a, minute? a minute. Hello, Wendy. Ouch! Hello, um, control room. How can I help you?
5: This is Ryan Lander. I oh, want to apologize. talk to the idiot who put that
2: moron on the air. Oh, um. Bryce Cummings is the idiot, really sir. But he can't talk to you right now because uh he's tied up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes. In fact, he just said that you were a flatulating butthead?
5: A butthead?
2: He said he never felt that way about a man before, sorry, but he really liked you in a certain way. I oh.
1: Oh.
0: Whoa, I dropped her. i just kidding. She's a doll. It's okay. Oh. <laughs> it's all right. It's a party. Come on, it's Christmas Eve, lighten up a little bit. Billy, we are going to need champagne for 250 people, and please send the stuff that you send to me. Don't send the stuff that I send to other people. You know, it's not too late on Christmas Eve to have fun. You, you can call people that you haven't seen. You can call a college roommate. You can call, you know, an old army buddy. Keep you that tape call rolling. This your personal history. banker. Hey! I don't hear any partying in that boat, That's Elliot. Great!
2: You heard him party! Now, why wasn't I invited? Now, that was just an innocent window, and you saw what I did to that. You know who you're dealing with?
0: I mean, uh, it's a night. You've got to party hardy, Marty. Look at this. (laughs) Check this out. Whoa! Don't be so mean. Uh, Look at this. There's a rule. There's a tradition that says, I have to kiss this girl on the lips. Well, she's just upholding the law. It's a federal law, actually. It's not just a state thing. Hey, so
1: nice. right Frankie yeah. Mr. Cummings! Oh, oh, oh.
0: Boy, that was very good. That, but you know what? It wasn't great. There has only been one great. <laughs> there is a girl that I wish I were with tonight. It's a girl that I. I loved a long time ago a girl that I still love. It's Christmas Eve. It's not too late, is it? Claire, do you remember? <laughs> do you remember the <laughs> Legs around like this, then this thing here. You circle me, chanting, burning incense. Before we begin,
1: <laughs> to I
0: tonight I think we could do this without serious physical or psychological damage.
5: Can you get me to the IPC building in three minutes?
0: Which floor? Oh,
1: check the halls
0: with We <laughs> 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 this. <laughs> how did that happen? That happened because it's Christmas Eve, I'm telling you. I'm not crazy. It's Christmas Eve. It's, it's the one night of the year when we all act a little nicer. We 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 smile a little easier. We 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 we, we, we cheer a little more for a couple of hours out of the whole year, we are the people that we always hoped we would be. It's a miracle it's really a sort of a miracle because it happens every christmas eve and if you waste that miracle you're gonna burn for it i know what i'm talking about you have to do something you have to take a chance you do have to get involved there are people that are having having trouble making their miracle happen there are people that don't have enough to eat There are people that are cold you can go out and say hello to these people you can take an old blanket out of the closet and say here you can make them a sandwich and say oh by the way here. I get it now. And if you, if you give. Then you, then it can happen. Then the miracle can happen to you. It's not just the poor and the hungry. It's, it's everybody who's got to have this miracle. And it can happen tonight for all of you. If you believe in this spirit thing, you, you, the miracle will happen. And then you'll want it to happen again tomorrow. You won't be one of these bastards who says Christmas is once a year. and it's a fraud. It's not. It can happen every day. You've just got to want that feeling. And if you like it and you want it, you'll get greedy for it. You'll want it every day of your life. And it can happen to you. I don't, I believe in it now. I believe it's gonna happen to me now. I'm ready for it. Uh, and uh, It's great. It's a good feeling. It's, it's really better than i felt in a long time. I, I, I'm ready. Have a Merry Christmas, everybody. did i forget something big man
2: god blesses everyone
3: and this is kind of i guess the the big climax of the movie frank as the change man and we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of this it seems like they just kind of put the camera on bill murray and say go to it right yeah (laughs) just do your thing and in a weird way like we've kind of slogged our way through this movie and it seems like because one of the things i think we've run into doing this podcast is when we attempt to do a comedy and Scrooged is basically a comedy, and so was Private Parts. It's okay, hard yeah, right. to, like, recap that.
4: Well, I will say, yeah, just briefly kind of staying on this idea, when Lindsay was talking to me about the Private Parts episode, she was like, it's, it's weird how serious the episode actually was. Yeah, I mean, we're, it's not like we're going to sit there and talk about, like, what's <laughs> funny from it.
3: I think there were actual parts of that episode that I cut out that was just us saying, this was a funny part. Like, because what are you well, yeah, supposed to say? Right, like,
4: exactly. People could argue what I'm about to say anyway, but it's like, it's not much of a podcast if you're just like going over what you think is funny. Yeah,
3: and I think throughout, we're making Scrooge sound probably more miserable of an experience than it is because we're pointing out things that are kind of wrong with it and don't make sense. There As are plenty are of funny lines in it, Yeah, and Bill Murray, this isn't his greatest performance, but he's very sharp in it at times. There are things about the plot and the characters that don't make a ton of sense, but this moment at the end of the movie kind of just saves it. You kind of forget all of the shortcomings, and you're like, yes, say, this yeah. is
4: beautiful. <laughs> this is great.
3: It does get you going a little bit. That moment where he does like reference the S.S. Minnow question with his brother. I do enjoy that part. That part, part yeah. it gets me every I'm like, this is so good. That's such <laughs> a great part, because yeah. it's like, then they They're like, because they would never be able to understand, like, what happened. They're like, how would he know that?
4: It is emotional uh, on a level that you don't really feel like you're going to get from Bill Murray most of the time.
3: Yeah, and, you know, if you're being completely honest, it doesn't feel completely earned in this movie yet.
4: Like, Bill Murray's, like, love stories in almost any movie, it's mostly misery. (laughs) There's not a lot of joy from Bill Murray, you know what I mean? And I do feel like you get an odd level of joy from him in this sequence.
3: Yeah, there is something real and raw and heartfelt about it, and you get that closure with Elliot because he's brought him back. You get the closure with Grace, and then little Calvin comes on and does the Tiny Tim routine because we see him earlier in the movie watching a different version of A Christmas Carol on TV. And eventually we see that Frank's brother is watching and also Claire is watching, and then Claire shows up. She gets in the ghost cab with david johansson and right, then right she shows up and all is forgiven and he brings her on camera and he's kissing her and even though like at first his boss mr rhinelander is kind of horrified oh he kind of well, is accepting yeah, it.
4: everyone kind of just embraces he's what's happening uh ready to fire frank at the start of this
3: yeah and the, the whole point is that his message is so good and this is such a real moment that it eventually wins out that it's better than whatever the ending of a christmas Carol was going to be right <laughs> And it's, like, this very, like, real message. Now, imagine something
4: like this happening, (laughs) where there was, like, some live performance. Don't you think people would... People
3: would assume it's fake, number one.
4: assume it's fake, but then, like, say you thought it was real. Wouldn't it get, like, a negative vibe, kind of like when Tom Cruise had that whole thing on Oprah over Katie Holmes? It
3: depends. I think in 2018, yes. In 1988, when people were, like, very concerned about the over-consumerism of Christmas and different things like that, I do think people would have latched onto this. I think there is a market yeah, now, for it now, but now it's I, we're kind of at a point now where Now it
4: would f- it would only feel like the motivation of that person would be to elevate their career to the next level of wherever they're at.
3: Yeah, it would be like an Instagram right. situation yeah. or something. Yeah, it's something annoying. People would instantly turn on it. <laughs> People would be combing through that person's old tweets, finding <laughs> things that were wrong. Exactly, with it. that's
1: right.
3: <laughs> it's just a very great ending to the movie and it kind of Fixes everything That's true. all yeah, at once. I guess... Hopefully, one day we'll get to see all those deleted scenes. I'm curious. This wouldn't have struck me as a movie that I would care about deleted scenes, but reading Bill Murray's quotes on it a couple times, I was like, I wonder what he's talking about. Like, what is this stuff that they cut out of the movie? The fact that he's like addressed this movie that many times is kind of shocking. All right. Well, I mean, what can we say about Christmas as far as the podcast? Anything? I think next week. We're going to try to do one more episode for 2018, a little New Year's special. And as part of that episode, we're going to look back on the year that was 2018 for the greatest moments in the history of forever. But as far as Christmas goes. Yeah. People are like on the edge of their seats. They're like, holy shit. (laughs) What? Whoa. What we've been waiting for. (laughs) Finally. Finally. Some more masturbatory references for this (laughs) shit podcast that 10 people listen to. I definitely considered this year the idea of should we turn December into its own thing like we do with October, but I think that would take away from... The specialness of October. Plus, if there was enough, we would run out of Christmas movies yeah, real fast. Really, seriously.
4: If we could do like December, like if there was enough Silent Night, Deadly Nights out there that we could do all like Christmas horror movies. I well, think there's I would Black like Christmas,
3: it. which we haven't touched yet, but yeah, there's not much. I mean, right. there's like Christmas Evil, which I've never seen. There's like, there are, some, and there's Krampus and bullshit like that, but like. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't think we could do that. Yeah, there's not enough really there.
4: Whatever. But, you know, I mean, as far as end of the year coming that you know that people know they can look forward to our best of 2018 stuff coming down the pipe
3: yeah well the last couple of years we've been doing our best of the year stuff much closer to the oscars yeah. we were talking off mike we might be able to do it much earlier <laughs> this year it doesn't seem like there's going to be as much late after releases the year, yeah look for those uh, best of the year give us a seconds maybe in january this year yeah that's true. rather than february and march or whatever we were doing them before
4: it kind of like gets you excited for the Oscars a little bit. Ha- being able we could to- still
3: do like a give us a second Oscar preview that's not related to the end of the year lists. Yeah, that's That could true. be separated this time. I don't know. We're, right. we're talking about ideas on mic. Yeah. <laughs> People are riveted to this. They're like save it for Eaton Park. <laughs> All right. So thank you for listening. A reminder that you can follow our show on Twitter at Pod. Subscribe on iTunes. The name of the show you've been listening to is The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. As always, I'm Zach. I'm Matt. Merry Christmas. <laughs> We're doing this at the end of the ep? Yeah, I just wanted to throw something new on I everybody. like that. All right. All right, so Merry Christmas, and we'll see you next
2: time. Think of
0: King coming, sweets. I got a long drive. Do me a favor, will you? Would you mind washing off that perfume before you come back to our table?